Well, good morning. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, which many of you I know gathering online, I haven't literally had a chance to meet you before. And so I am uh, glad to at least be able to welcome you uh, in the name of Jesus to our online gathering. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here at City Church. And uh, I'm so thankful that you are joining with us and thankful for our worship team for leading us so well this morning, so faithfully. Um, As I was uh, talking with Tammy this morning, I was reminded of uh, and and her sharing um, the reality of worship at home with little kids. And right now, by the way, parents, um, every week we put out, our kids team puts out a worship guide to be used by our children's ministry or by our kids and littles. And so uh, hopefully you printed that out and, and you can use that right now as a way to uh, just work, you know, give your littles a, a little break, break. We don't expect them um, to necessarily uh, listen to me fully. That's quite all right. Um, I also know, I just want to give you a pass, and I share this with Tammy, that, um, you know, life is kind of crazy right now. And so if, you're, if your kids don't hang with you the whole time and it just turns into total disaster, you're not a failure as mom and dad. Um, and uh, just remember um, that what they see you doing as you worship Jesus and you put your hope in Jesus, that is way more important than them right now necessarily catching every word that I share. Um, and so uh, give them some freedom and give yourself some freedom and grace um, to just let the craziness happen. Let it uh, be. I know it's real and there's nothing you can do about it, um, but your heart for the Lord is what is most important, which is why um, our kids and and, and our team does so much to try and equip you parents um, to disciple your children, um, because coming from you is, is what's most important. Now, we are um, back in our study in the book of Ephesians. If you were with us last week, we jumped back into the end of chapter 3, verses primarily 14 and following, and that was a summary in a sense of what Paul was teaching about our um, who we are in Christ and what Christ has done for us. It's his ex- exposition of the gospel into all of its depths and all of the things that the gospel brings for us and what it means. And he prayed that the church and that we might be strengthened in that, that the, that the word of God and that Christ would dwell so richly in our hearts that everything that we do would be an overflow. And so now I'm going to jump down to, as you heard Pastor Kyle read for us, Ephesians chapter 4. And if you have been with City Church for some time, you know that this is a little bit of a repeat. So here's what I I just want you to know what I'm doing. When this pandemic hit, we were right in the first few uh, verses of chapter 5, kind of midway through that, I suppose. And so we paused, and it was just right that we, um, in, the, in the midst of all the chaos of the pandemic and what was happening in our world, that we sort of paused and just remember God's bigness and who He was, and we felt like that would be a comfort to us all to uh, spend some time studying a number of psalms uh, written in hard times and in seasons of brokenness that would just encourage our hearts and lift us up. And so, But as this has continued, we need to jump back into our normal routine, which is working our way through books of the Bible. Um, But uh, I didn't want to jump right back into chapter 5 because I know there are so many of you that might be joining us for the first time as we've uh, been able to be online. And this has given you a chance to sort of see City Church from afar. um, And that's good. And we're glad that you are joining us. And so I wanted to go back because the fear is that we would hear chapters 4, 5, and 6 would talk, which talk and teach us how we are to live as the church. And if we separate that from what Christ has already done and 
who we are because of Christ, our union with him and the power of the earth, then it can become a form of you have to do this, you don't do that, and it can seem a little bit like much of the world's religions. So I wanted to spend some time just to sort of ease us back into this before we got to chapters 4, 5, and 6. In this beginning of chapter 4, as Paul is transitioning from who we are because of Christ, he then tells us and is teaching us this new identity that we have that is no longer individual, but it is something that is corporate. It's a body. We are given a new body, which is called the church. So again, he tells us who we are because of what Christ has done, chapters 1 through 3. Here in the beginning of chapter 4, he tells us now you are something new. You are no longer anything that you were before. You are now something totally new. And the individualist uh, is sort of taken out of the equation in a sense. Of course, we say often that we are both uh, corporate and individual. Who we are as individuals impacts who we are as a gathered body, as a church, and who we are as a church definitely should impact who we are as individuals. And so there is this back and forth to this. But if we lose sight of it, then again, as we move into chapters 5 and 6 and the end of chapter 4, where we're talking a lot about practical relational connections that we have with our world, we will miss all that God has for us. And this is vital that we, we see this. America especially, and really the Western world, is so focused on individual. You live your truth. What you believe is primary. What you want is most important. But for Christians, the Bible has nothing to say about your truth. It is the truth. And we live in response to the truth, and our lives reflect that truth. But that mantra of live out your truth creeps into so many different areas of our lives. I would, I would ask you to consider just this past week, what about your union with Christ, your membership in the body of Christ, the church, directed and impacted the decisions that you made and the way that you lived? So often we miss that, and everything that we do from the moment we wake up, it's about our day, what we should do with it, what we want to accomplish, and especially in days like we're in right now where some of that is much less structured, and we're not given any sort of outside influence to direct those things. It really comes down to, in our hearts, what is it that we are going to do? What do we want to say? What do we believe about our day? And we have to remember who we are as the body, the body of Christ. Now, two things I want to say about that. First is I want to say just as one of your pastors, City Church specifically, and if you're friends watching in, again, we're so thankful that you're here, but a message to our church family. When we planted this church, one of the things that we sought to teach and encourage and, and, and just press into was the priesthood of the believer. That is that every person within the body of Christ is uh, in a self a minister of the gospel. Second Corinthians talks about this, that we've been given this ministry of reconciliation, that we are ambassadors for Christ, and to really be the church. Again, so often here in America, the church can sort of seem to be waiting for the pastors to direct everything, to do this, to do that. But that was one of those things that we sought to kind of press into our lives to teach. 
Well, this pandemic has given us an opportunity to see that reflected. We, we said again when it first broke out, we're going to see, in a sense, all the things that we've taught about what the church should be are going to have an opportunity to be lived out because we can't gather together like we once have been doing and we look forward to doing again hopefully soon. We can't direct and create events that kind of teach us or, or, or give us a, a, a fill our calendar. This is, we are in a sense left to what we know and what we have been taught to live that out. And what's going to accomplish the mission Jesus gave us is every believer, every person who claims the name of Christ, living that out. And so I want to say as one of your pastors how proud and humbled and honored I am to see you living that out. We have done only a few things. We gather on Sunday mornings. We gather weekly on Thursday evenings to pray. Our kids team has done a few other things in midweek to just give you some anchor points for your children. But outside of that, you have been living out the mission of Jesus so well. And I don't know if uh, everybody else sees it, but I want you to know that I see it. I see the evidence of it because I see the actions. I hear the reports back of the love that you're exhibiting to this community and to your friends. And so I just want to say how, how happy that makes me how much joy it brings me. The second thing about this message is specifically this text that we're reading is really is, is a message to the church. And so this morning, if you are not a Christian, if you uh, don't believe in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross for your sins and what he accomplished as he took his life back up again three days later, rising from the dead, then I want you to listen in, but I want you to know that what we're talking about and what we're describing is the church. And so we don't commend ourselves. This isn't a patting ourselves on the back or saying that we have figured this out or that we're right. What we commend to you is Jesus. And what we want you to know as you listen in is that everything you see us do as a church, it should be and most often is propelled and motivated by our love for you because God showed his love for us. And we want to demonstrate that to you. And so this message of Paul to the church in Ephesus, as we think about what it can teach us, it is a message to the church, to Christians. Now, Pastor Kyle read for us all of Ephesians chapter 4, 1 through 16, and it was important that we read that because it kind of sets the stage for where we're going to focus this morning, which is really on verses 11 through 16. But as Paul prayed at the end of chapter 3, that we would be filled with the fullness of God, 3 verse 19, this instructed us that there is this overflow of our lives. And Paul, as he begins chapter 4, he calls us that out of this overflow, we should live. And really, all of 4 through 6, as I said, is what the describing the overflow, us being filled so much with who God is, so much with His love, so much with His peace and hope and joy, that it, it's filled our cups till the point that they are overflowing, and as they overflow, everything that our lives touch is touched, is motivated, is fed by what we know of God. Now, as he gets to chapter 4, verse 4, he says, he describes this new creation that he has given us, not just in raising us to a new creation, but a new body. 
Chapter 4, verse 4, there is one body and one spirit, just as you are called to the hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Because of our union with Christ, Paul says, because of what Christ has done for us, we now have unity with one another. We are brought together under one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over it all. And so this is speaking about what he is describing there is the church, the big C church. See, we are made into something new. When we put our faith in Christ and we receive the gift of salvation, we are raised from the dead. Romans 6, 4 says we are raised from the dead to new life. But we are also raised into something that is new, which is a new corporate body. We are raised into the church. This is why Jesus gave us the ordinance of baptism, and it's a symbol of this new creation. Both we are, or, uh, and, and why the ordinance, by the way, is given to the church, because the ordinance is lived out by the church as we are raised to new life through baptism, as we demonstrate that as a picture. It's done in the environment of the new body, which is the church. So we not only have a new life in Christ, we also have a new family. We have new identities. I know so many, many of you perhaps that are gathering with us this morning have this testimony to say that your family, your biological family might not have been, they may not have been believers. And as a result of that, they might not have been um, the best. There may be a lot of pain and hardship as you think back to that biological family. But your testimony is that the church rallied around you. The body of Christ came around you in this new family that you have, these brothers and sisters, aunts and uncles, moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas that have raised you and surrounded you and loved you. That's your new family. And Paul is saying that this family is preeminent, is important, that we can't look at it as something secondary to our lives. And that's a lot what has happened in our culture, that the family of the church is the secondary thing. Everything about our lives is directed again focused on ourselves as individuals, then perhaps as individuals fed by our families, moms and dads being fed by the accomplishments of their children, driven by what they can do through their children, essentially living their lives vicariously through their children, and everything directed around that family. And the second, the, 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 the church family is sort of put to the side and when we can participate, when we have an opportunity to be a part. But what Paul says here is that we have a unity with one another that trumps the fleshly unity, that is more vital, more important. And he says that we have that with one another all over the globe. This is why so often we ask, would you pray for our brothers and sisters? Notice the language that we use, our brothers and sisters in some other part of the world who are being persecuted who are coming under hardship and serious pain. And this is prior to the pandemic that I'm talking about. And why, why would our hearts be broken? Because we recognize that, that those people, although we don't know their names, and we perhaps struggle to even envision their faces or what they might look like, we have no idea. We do know that they are our family because there is one body, one spirit, because we have been called to one hope. 
under one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. And so he gives us the church, God, as the gift to one another to bless us and to strengthen us. And I do pray as much as it is my testimony that you also would be able to testify and say that the church, yes, this church, city church, not commending ourselves, but commending the work of Jesus in us is a gift to you. It brings joy to you. It, it reminds you of how much you are loved unconditionally. That's what we're here to tell you. That's what we're here to live out. And that's the calling. Again, each and every one of us as individual believers have a responsibility and a stewardship to ensure that we are living that out, that as we encounter someone, that they would say, I was loved. I was encouraged. I was blessed by my brother or my sister who, because of our union with Christ, although we lived totally different lives, there's no reason that we should have ever come into contact with one another, now have a deep and abiding love for one another. That is the gift of the church. Now, in verses 11 through 16, as I jump down a little bit, as we sort of move a little bit faster than we normally would through these books, catching up to chapter 5, He describes that he gave us one another, but he also then gave us leaders, shepherds, to to instruct us, to, to lead us. And I'll just read. I won't try to come up with other words. Let's just look at what Paul says that he gave. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we attain unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. He says that he gave us one another. He gave us the church, established it as this new body, this new creation in order to further the kingdom. But then he also gave us leaders that are there. The job description is to equip us. And so, Pastor uh, Kyle, as he read this, you might have been thinking about all of the pastors in your life from early on till today, those of us that have the blessing of serving you as your pastors today. This is, as one pastor taught us this last week, this is our job description. We spent some time on an online conference and heard um, Dr. Ligon Duncan expound on this text. But he gave us this job description, and the purpose of the job description, while I won't spend as much time in verses 11, is to do this. It's to equip us in order that we might become mature. For the building up of the body of Christ, this is what the pastors are called to do. Equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up of the body, until we attain unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son to mature manhood. Until we get there, we're always in this process of growing. We're in this process of maturing in Christ, or we should be as Christians. And we should be thinking, and our aim, notice what he says there is our aim. Until we all attain the unity of the faith. Unity of the faith. Until we achieve this gift that God gave us, the church, and this is what it's supposed to look like. Until we get there, the pastors have been given to us to point us there, and to keep focusing us there, and keep pressing upon us to build upon that. 
If you want to know why we spend so much energy and effort trying to encourage you and talking about this unity, it's not because we want some sort of self, uh, uh, hey, we've been able to build up this, this, this unified body and we can look at it proudly. Yes, we do that. But it's not for us. It's that that's the, that's the call God has placed upon our lives that we would have this type of unity. And the unity, that, that what that leads to is a knowledge of the Son of God to maturity, that we might be mature. In verse 6, he describes this maturity to be the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This is a big aim. And so we are faithfully called to follow as pastors this calling to strengthen the church, to lead the church into maturity. And this maturity is described as measure the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Last week, I stretched out my arms describing for us from, from chapter 3 the love of God, and I said, I want you to imagine how big it is, and then I told you that's just too small. We can't possibly, kind of as kids might do, Well, here we're called that we are to live and be pointed to a maturity that is going to be the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The magnitude of that degree of maturity, that strength, that's what the church should look like. That essentially, he says, the church should embody the fullness of Christ everywhere it goes. So, We go out as individuals into the world. I uh, just spoke about that earlier, about how great it's been for me to watch us as we do that. But as we do that as individuals, we're doing that pointing to the body, not commending ourselves, but commending Jesus, the body of Christ. And now we, in the full measure of the stature of Jesus, he's saying, until we are a visible, tangible display of Jesus's love to the world and they can't see anything else but Jesus in us. That's what the pastors are called to do as we build this unity, and the unity that we have displays Jesus to a lost, a dying, a broken, a dark world. Can you imagine that? That as we go out and live our lives as Christians, we are so unified with one another in spirit, in mind, and in heart that as we go out into the world and we've become so mature in our understanding of who Christ is, that we display the fullness of Christ to everyone we encounter. That's the calling on us. That's what we are called as the church to do. And so he gave us, pastors, my responsibility is to equip and to teach and to instruct until we attain that. That's what we're all called to as pastors. And so what does this look like as we do that? What does that type of maturity look like? Well, here's what it protects us from in verse 14. And I want to spend a lot of time focusing on this. So that we may no longer, we are, as, as we are mature, we are no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. So the first thing he says is that as we grow personally as individuals, we also grow corporately. And as we mature, we are so 
anchored to the truth that we can see all of the lies. This knitting together of the body, the church, we are brought together and we are anchored to the truth so that we are no longer led astray. How often we get distracted. We forget the truth. You know, right now, let's be honest, there are so many theories about what is happening in our world. There's a million different ideas. And you can't argue about those ideas because they're all conspiracy theories in a sense. Whatever you say about that just proves that you're falling into the conspiracy theory, so you're, you, you clearly need to be educated. And if you go to the other side, well, no, I don't really think that's so. That, that seems a little bit kind of outside of bounds or outside of the line. No, that, that, see, you've, you've just been blinded. No matter the world, there's so many thoughts going out around the world about what's the cause of this pandemic, whether we should be reacting to in this way or we, should we not be reacting in this way? What's the, what are we going to do? What is future life going to look like? There, is, there are a million questions. I can't even begin to list all of the questions or all of the theories that are answers to those questions out for you. I've seen them, I've seen them all. Social media, the news, and I know I can't listen to the news because that's not real either. I mean, what, what, what is real? What is truth? Well, I can tell you what is the truth. It's the Word of God. And what I know about the Word of God tells me that I don't have to be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, basically every wind of whatever version of truth that somebody puts out there. I know the truth. So while I can live and be cautious and be concerned about getting sick and do all that I can to protect my family and to protect you and protect my friends and my community from there, I don't have to live in constant fear. And at the same time, I don't have to live in constant fear of what may or may not be coming as a resolution to this problem because I know the future and I know what the future holds. I don't have to be twisted about. And I notice it seems, and while that's the reality of today, the pandemic and all of these questions, when this does pass, which we pray and hope that it will sometime soon, there will be a new thing, some new problem, some new challenge And the world is going to tell us all of these different things. And guess what they look like most of the time to me? Human cutting, craftiness, deceitful schemes, lies. We are surrounded by lies that, yes, have their root in our enemy that wants to distract us from who we are in Christ, what Christ has done for us, who God is, his sovereignty over it all. There's so many things that he's trying to do to distract us from that truth and convince us of all of these other problems. And what we need to do and what maturity in Christ looks like as as the body comes together and is strengthened, we are able to spur one another on. We are able to encourage one another. We're able to kind of put our arms around one another. As one of us begins to sort of get a little wobbly in the knee, we're able to come around one another and we know that we're wobbly in the knee and so we can put our arm around you and say, come on, stand firm, be strong. This is the truth of God. How many times, again, just think about your last week as you heard someone speaking with some degree of anxiety or caution or fear about Again, either direction, about getting sick, becoming sick, something that, or fear and anxiety about what the world is going to impose upon us as the solution to this sickness, and there's fear, and there's 
just devastation, whatever the emotion might be, have you been able to put your arm around that friend, that loved one, and say, it's going to be okay? Remember, Christian, remember, brother, sister, that Jesus is going to make all things new. So whatever happens in this world, yes, we can live and be wise, harmless as dove, wise as a serpent. But we do not have to be tossed to and fro by every news cycle, by every wind of cunning and craftiness and deceitful scheme. No, we can stand firm in Christ. We have one another. We have the church so that we can be matured to see who Christ is and to remember who Christ is and remember who we are because of what he has done. He says that as we do this, that we are to, in verse 15, rather than being a people who are tossed to and fro by these winds that blow to the left or to the right every single day in a different direction, we are to rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. He's describing that we should be unified and we should, as we grow up as individuals, personally as we grow in our understanding and our knowledge of the gospel and who Christ is, that we are bound together and that we are to grow up into him and he is to be our head. Notice in verse 16, he says, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. See, as we are not tossed about by the winds of the world, but we remember who Jesus is and we spur one another on in that and we speak the truth, the truth, remember, they're not your truth or a truth, but we speak the truth that is grounded and rooted in love, chapter 3, that, that overflows out of us because of God's love for us and our love for one another. We speak this truth and we, 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 we move people on. We grow them. We, we grow one another. And as we speak the truth, we are constantly reminding ourselves of who our head is, the chief shepherd, our great high priest, the Lord of Lord and King of Kings. Jesus is our head. And if he is our head, what, what in your kind of thought of just, just biology or anatomy, we always direct that there are two things that direct us, our minds or our hearts. And very often we would say in our understanding of things that if our minds are in charge, that we're making sort of the wise decision where our hearts are in charge, we're making the emotional decision. Now, those two things sort of are, are, are real and are true. What he's saying here is that as Christ is our head, that we are minds, the way that the, the, the wisdom that we know and that we speak and that directs our lives is Christ. It is his wisdom. It is what he has to say. The truth. He is the head that controls us. And so as we mature and we are a part of bringing maturity to one another because we teach each other the truth and we encourage one another and when we get a little bit shaky, as I've said, we kind of bind each other up 
lift each other up. We help build the church to the mature stature, to the fullness of Christ. And we have to remember that, that Christ is our head and that our focus is on him. From, the whole, from whom Christ is the head, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. I'm going to spend some time on that text or that, that, little, that little phrase. Joined together, every joint with which it is equipped. This is what Paul is saying here. We as the church, as Christians, as we are equipped with the truth of the gospel, those are the threads which knit us together, which bind us together. It's his, his truth. And when each one of those joints are made and they're through the equipping of the saints, through maturing of the saints, they're joined together in such a way that when they work properly, Guess what happens? The entire body grows and builds itself up in love. So as, as we hear the truths taught to us and, and, and spoken over us and encouraged in us, we are equipped and we, are, we, we grow in maturity as individuals. And then we come alongside one another. And I can't do this, obviously, physically with you right now, but I'd love to be able to put my arms around you right now. We come and with one another and we, we, we build these bonds together and we are knit together into this new creation, this new body, which is the church. And that maturity comes and those joints are strengthened and then we are able just as the human body, how does the human body grow? It grows because God brings that growth and allows it to grow. It was created to do that. And as all of the cells and all of the pieces of our physical bodies work properly, they, they grow and they mature and they get stronger and healthier. It's when we are sick or when something come, you know, is wrong that those things begin to deteriorate. But as there is health, there is growth. In the same way, the body of Christ, when there is health, because we have been equipped and because we are remembering the truth and because we are living that out, we grow and we build ourselves up. The church is built up. And what is it built up in? It builds itself up in love, rooted and grounded in love, by the way, from Paul's prayer again in chapter three. Unity is an overflow of maturity in Christ is what he's saying. And here's the other thing that he is saying. Disunity a breakdown, a sickness within the church is evidence of lack of maturity. It's evidence that we have been distracted, that we've been tossed to and fro by some wind of cunning. Why are there breaks in the unity of the church? Why are there divisions in the church? Here's the answer. Because we haven't matured in one area or another to be who Christ has called us to be and with him as our head. We are, our heads are being directed by someone or something else. And so we do get tossed to and fro. There's this beautiful picture of who we're supposed to be because of our union with Christ. And we bring that out in one another. But when there's a break in that, Disunity follows. Think of it this way. What causes us to sin? Just any sin in your life. What, what, what's the root cause of that? I'll tell you the answer. It's that you are not fully satisfied 
with who Christ has called you to be and what Christ has done on your behalf. He, as I quoted a few weeks ago, I believe on Easter Sunday, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might be called the righteousness of God. That is an amazing declaration of the gospel. And because of the righteousness that we have received, by the way, as a gift from Jesus, that's his gift to us. When we sin, we're not satisfied with that level of righteousness. We're basically saying, no, I need something else, something that this world might have to offer, something that that relationship might bring me. Whatever we want to go, that's the, that's the root tentacles of sin. And so when we bring that in and we think about our relationships with one another, we are essentially saying as we allow disunity to creep in where it, where it starts, we are not satisfied with having unity in Christ and being the body that Christ has called us to be. When we live fully aware of who we are in Christ, guess what we can do? We can lay down our temporal short-term desires and we can love one another even sacrificially. That's what it means when it says that we're built up and we build that this unity, this new body grows as we are equipped and as we grow in the truth and we become more mature believers. We are then rooted in love and that love overflows. And because of that love, the body grows and we present to the world a mature, the fullness of Christ as we go out. Paul continues in the rest of this chapter, and he explains that all of the old ways must go. All of the old ways are done with. He tells the Gentiles that you're no longer Gentiles. You are Gentiles, but don't act like that any longer. Why? Because Christ's body, the body of Christ, supersedes all of the old ways. Those bodies are now dead, and there's this new life in Christ that has been raised up individually and corporately. The old ways are all gone, friends. The new life is all that remains. And that new life that we are called to live is a life that is individually devoted and committed and understands who Christ is in our lives and is also binds us together and creates this new body of Christ, this miracle, this gift, which is called the church. So Christians, be the church. In so many ways, as I said, you are and you have. But that's our constant directive, to be the church. To not allow ourselves to be tossed around. And when we see a brother or sister being tossed to and fro, to come around them and put our arms around them and strengthen them. And to allow the unity that we have to be a visible display to a dark world of the power of Jesus. Let me pray. Holy Spirit, I thank you for the gift of the church. I thank you that you have miraculously created this new life. New life in Christ 
from the, the, from, from the way that Jesus established the church, went to the cross for the church, laid his life down for us, and we then, as we receive from him, are raised up in new life. We are, we are raised into something new individually, but we are, we are this, this miracle of this body of strangers that have a love for one another that can't be described. I thank you for that, that miracle. I do pray for our church that you would help us to live out this calling in our lives, to be people who are not tossed to and fro by the waves of the world, the deceitful schemes of the enemy who desires nothing but to distract us and to destroy our lives. And that we, what you would leave, what you would allow us to be and to present to the, to the lost and dark world is the fullness of Christ. Let them see you, Jesus, not us. We want, we want to hide behind you. And we desire, and I pray in Jesus' name, that you would give us unity and a love for one another that allows that to happen. I pray for myself and our pastors that we would be, God, who you've called us to be, to equip this body called City Church. So that you might be what the world sees in us. It is a mystery. You didn't have to do this, God. But you've chosen to use us, use your new creation in order to accomplish the work of the kingdom. And so we thank you for that opportunity. And we pray by the power of your spirit that we might be faithful. That we might build one another up in love. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us for the preaching of God's Word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sundays at 1030 a.m. at 2950 Cardinal Drive, and we'd love to meet you this coming week. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God and the good of the city.